Imagine if somebody is lost in the desert and he sees that he knows there are planes flying ahead, they're searching for him. What does he do? He lights a signal, he lights a fire. Look, I'm here. You look from so high, you can find me over here. Person in the winter, in the long nights, in the Choshech of Golis, he stands by his table, he lights an air Hanukkah, he's saying to the Rabbi Nishtalab, I'm here, come and find me. You're so high up, I'm down here, I'm where I am. But come and search for me, and come be close to me, and you can lift me up. We say on Hanukkah, now we know there were many nisim, there were miracles by Yomim Ohem, but where are the miracles Bizman Hazeh? What does it mean, Bizman Hazeh, that we have miracles? There was a time, we look in our history, that miracles were a normal part of existence. There was Kriyas Yamsuf, there was the Esem Makot in Mitzrayim. We saw somebody who lived in the time of the Beis Hamikdash saw miracles all the time. Asara and Nisim, there were ten miracles that happened every day in the Beis Hamikdash. <laughs> Yet today we don't see miracles. What does it mean? That today we still have miracles. You know, the question is asked: What was so great about the Ness of Hanukkah? So the oil burned for eight days. You know, there was the Ner Maravi, the central Ner. Which Ner it was in the Menorah? From that Ner. All the other nearest were lit. That was never extinguished. It burned all the time. It never went out. There was a nest. So the nest of Hanukkah you saw all the time. What was so special about suddenly the other nearest burning for eight days? It wasn't something out of the ordinary. It was something you saw in the base Hamikdash all the time. There are nisim, the Svarim tell us, and there are nisim that affect us, that we can be kolet, that we could absorb these nisim. Nisim are happening all the time. Nisim happened to us in our day and age too. Now, there was a story a few years ago. There was, during the war, there was a group of German Jews who ran away from Germany and they settled in England. And the English government was suspicious of any German citizens. They were afraid if you're a German citizen, maybe you're helping the enemy, maybe you're helping the German army. And Nebuch, these Jews who were victims of the Germans, they said they sent them into exile, they put them onto ships, and they shipped them off to Australia. We're afraid to have you, maybe you're collaborating with the Germans, and they sent them off to Australia. And one of these ships was carrying the Jewish passengers, and the British soldiers, out of cruelty, they wanted to torment them. They didn't like the Jews, they didn't love them too much. And they robbed them of all their possessions. They went through all of their luggage, took out anything of value. And then, just to cause them anguish, they took all their luggage and threw it out into the water. And people, whatever they had left, their little memories, maybe a photo album, maybe a little bit of family heirloom, a zecher, zechronot, all of it went into the water. And the people were so hurt, they had lost everything. And now this final humiliation to shame them. And that's how they arrived in Australia, with nothing. About 10 years ago, one of these people who was on that ship read there was published a diary of a German commander of a U-boat. The U-boats were the submarines. The Germans had submarines that would go under the water and torpedo any, any enemy ships. And he wrote how we used to follow the British ships that were traveling across the ocean, and our route was the route to Australia, and any ships that we saw, we would bomb them and torpedo them. A ship came into our sights, and it seemed to be a British ship, and we wanted to attack it. 
and somehow we shot and we missed exactly what the story was, and we sent out a boat to see who they were. And we saw pieces of luggage floating in the water, so we gathered the luggage, and we saw it was full of letters written in German, literature written in German, and we understood they have German citizens on the boat, or maybe German prisoners, and we decided not to shoot. We'll wait until they disembark in Australia and let off all their passengers, and on the way back we'll destroy them. And that's exactly what happened. We let them off. And then when the ship came back, but the only with the British soldiers, that's when we destroyed the ship. Now, for 40 years, these people were thinking the worst thing happened to them. Look, they took away our last memories, our last connection to our past. What a terrible tragedy happened to us. 40 years later, they realized what a miracle happened. That truly there was a miracle, but they didn't realize it at the time. Miracles are happening to us, and sometimes there are open miracles. And we don't even see them. It doesn't affect us. The story of Shem Shem Pinkazach tells a story. You heard it from a doctor who lives in Manzi, who's about to Shuva. He wasn't always a from Yid. He was once, he was in the emergency room, and a patient was brought in who had his heartbeat, his heart had stopped, and they were working on trying to revive him. After about a half hour, they gave up, and they covered him over. And he was an expert, and he felt, as he was coming, he felt a, a very faint pulse thought there's some life, and he quickly uncovered, uncovered the so-called dead person, and the fellow opened his eyes, and he looked at him and he said, your name is Chaim Meir, that was his Hebrew name, he never ever called him by his Hebrew name, he said yes, he says, I, I, you should start wearing tefillin, and you should start keeping Shabbat, and with that the fellow closed his eyes, and was Yitziat the Shabbat. He didn't become at that moment a religious Jew. He went back in discussing with the, in the meeting with the other doctors, you know, an amazing thing just happened to me. He told them the story. And they said, yeah, we've heard of such stories. It's not so uncommon. These type of things happen. And just remained back in the recesses of his memory. Ten or fifteen years later, someone introduced him to Torah. And he became closer and closer till he became a Shemit Torah Mitzvah. And then it came back to him, the meaning of that experience. Sometimes we can have open miracles open miracles, but we don't have the ability to absorb them. There are miracles all the time. All the time. The fact that we're breathing is a miracle. You know that the atmosphere is made up of 21% oxygen, which is exactly the exact amount. If there would be a drop less than 21% oxygen, we couldn't function. No fire could, could, could survive. No, no factory would work, no machine would be able to function, and we would collapse. If there would be more than 21% oxygen in the world, you would light a match, and the whole building would explode, <laughs> because everything would just catch fire. Now, that exact amount has to be kept into perfection. Now, we know we need oxygen to survive, to breathe. The plants exhale oxygen, they inhale carbon dioxide and give out oxygen. We take in oxygen and we exhale carbon dioxide. We're constantly switching. But there's not enough in the plants to supply us with all the oxygen that we, ha- that we need. So, But there's under the ocean, there's millions and millions of miles, millions of acres of plant life that's also emitting oxygen that goes into the water. And when the water evaporates and it brings the clouds and that gives out the oxygen that the plants under the ocean are giving. And if there would be a little bit less plants or there would be too many people or too many balechaim, too many animals, too many chayas, too many behemoths, the proportion, the balance 
wouldn't be correct, and the world would cease to exist. So who keeps that in check all the time? It's a constant miracle. <gasps> a miracle. Every time we breathe, we inhale, there's miracles all the time. Sometimes we see them, sometimes we don't. Two years ago, I think it was, the Bokhirim from our yeshiva were going collecting on Purim. You know, so they go down to the house, ask people to help the yeshiva, and one fellow gave him, uh, gave him a check for $100. And the boys weren't so happy. They wanted more. You know, Purim was labor. They wanted more. And he didn't want to give. He said, no, I'll tell you what, boys. I'll make a deal with you. I have your lottery ticket. And you scratch over the lottery ticket. Either you take the $100 check or you give it back to me. And we'll scratch over the ticket. And if we win, half goes to me, half goes to the yeshiva. What do you decide? The boys were in a dilemma. No, $100, $100. Don't give I said, okay, a deal. No, he scratched off the lottery ticket. $10,000. Are there miracles? Miracles happen all the time. Nisim happen all the time. They don't affect us. Chanukah is a time. That we can feel, we can take into ourselves, and we can recognize and see and change because of the miracles that are happening to us all the time. Why is that? And how do we do that? What is so special about this time that we can absorb, we could be collect the nisim, and it can have such an effect on us? What Hanukkah does is it enhances our vision. A whole year we're living in darkness. You can't see things in the darkness. Hanukkah is a yontav of light, a yontav of ur. When the lights get turned on, we can see things that we otherwise would not see. 